Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Come with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 30. You're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 30. You're going to read about a man, you might have heard of him, named David. It's a little bit of, um, of an obscure part in David's life that doesn't get a ton of attention. So we're going to read it and then give you guys a little bit of context around um, this story. So 1 Samuel chapter 30, starting in verse 1. Here we go. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with them lived lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Aninoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Amalek's son, please bring me the ephod, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Come on, somebody. So I'm going to give you a little bit of context before we jump into this. So um, the, the books of First and Second Samuel cover three main characters. One of them, surprise, surprise, is a man named Samuel. Then you also have the life of Saul and the life of David covered in these two books. And so um, if you know the story, you have the Israelites that are brought out of Egyptian captivity into a land that God had promised to Abraham. And so they get into this promised land and had a bunch of fighting, a bunch of wars to get in there and dispossess the, uh, the inhabitants of the land. And they're in there and God gives them these, these judges to rule over them and, and, um, and just kind of govern and administrate and doesn't actually give them a king because God says, you don't need a king because I am your king. Well, they say, well, you know, but all of the other nations, they have like a real, like, you know, like a human king and we kind of want that. And God's like, well, all of those other nations are godless heathens. Are you really sure you want to do it the way that they're doing it? And he says, you don't need a king because I'm your king. And they said, no, we really want a king. So he says, okay, fine, have it your way. He gives them King Saul. And King Saul is this giant of a man. You know, he's like six foot eight, ripped and handsome. And this, you know, by all accounts, a great military leader. And in the beginning of 1 Samuel, we kind of see the rise of King Saul. And then sadly, we see the downfall of King Saul as well as he begins to be tormented as he turns his back on the Lord. And at the same time that King Saul is beginning to train wreck his life, we see the rise of King David. 
And you all probably know the story. The, the thing that launched David into, into notoriety and fame and prominence was when he slayed the giant Goliath. And then all of a sudden, King Saul gets very insecure because people are just, you know, saying how amazing David is. And he's like, but wait a minute, I'm the king. And then people are saying, oh, actually, sorry, bro, he's, he's actually anointed to be king. The anointing has left you. So Saul gets very jealous, very self-conscious, starts chasing David. So David is is essentially exiled and is, is run out of his own country. The king wants to murder him. And so King David spends this season of his life in hiding, running around, hiding in caves and, and trying to just not get assassinated by King Saul. He actually becomes a mercenary for the Philistine army, the enemies of the Israelites, which is pretty crazy. That'd be like if I went and joined like the Chinese army or something. That would be, that's, it's called treason. It's, it's against a lot of very good laws, okay? But King David actually becomes a mercenary for a season of his life, joining up with the Philistines and fighting on their behalf. And that's where we find ourselves in this story. So the Philistines have given him this town of Ziklag as just a place that him and his mighty men that he's gathered around him, just these, you know, just amazing soldiers and warriors that they can have a little town that uh, they can have their, their wives and their kids there. And so I want you to really um, let it sink in what this moment must have been like in David's life, okay? So David has been exiled from his own country, his own people. Even after he bailed them out of like being in captivity, slayed Goliath the giant and should be like a national hero, but King Saul has run him out of town. He's rejected by his own people. And then right before this story, he's out as a mercenary, out at war with the Philistines. And then the Philistines actually say, hey, you know what? We don't really want you fighting with us either. So not only is he rejected by his own people, He's rejected by the people that he's gone to be mercenaries for. And so completely dejected, wanted by nobody, he says, well, guys, I guess we might as well just go back to Ziklag and at least we'll hang out with our families. That'll be cool, I guess. And so on their way back to Ziklag, they see in the distance, they see smoke billowing up from this town, Ziklag. And they get there to find that the Amalekites have come while they were away, raided the town, stolen all of their wives, all of their sons, all of their daughters. So not only is David rejected by his own country, rejected by the enemy of his own country that he tried to be a traitor. He can't even be a traitor right, okay? Rejected by them, then gets back to his family to find his family has been completely stolen. Then his mighty men, it says that they spoke of stoning David because they were so distressed. So now his own inner servant has turned on him. And that's where we find David. I believe that this would have been the lowest point in King David's entire life. I think lower even than, than the Bathsheba incident, we'll call it. I think this was the moment that would have been the lowest point of David's life, having lost everything you could possibly lose. But listen to what it says in verse six. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The title of my message today is Strengthen Yourself. Come on, somebody. Strengthen Yourself. Now, I've been on a bit of a fitness journey as of late. Thank you, Pastor Marco. You're so encouraging. Appreciate that. Um, when Katie and I got married, um, you know, we, 
we just enjoyed being newlyweds way too much, okay? So this is 12 years ago, and we just feasted every single night and drinking wine, drinking craft beer, eating tacos, and just not really doing much else outside of that. And we just really enjoyed being newlyweds. And then there was this one moment, I remember at our little apartment in Texas, and you know we had like a double vanity, and we're both in there just kind of brushing our teeth, and we both kind of looked at each other, and it wasn't, we weren't judging each other, but just, just a little bit dejectedly, we both just kind of said, we've kind of let ourselves go, haven't we? <laughs> and we both just said, yeah, yeah, I think we, I think we have. So we made a decision. You know, this was like 12 years ago. I was like, hey, you know what? We're not going to do this. We're going we're gonna to get in shape. And, and we, we, act, we did. In fact, I lost 45 pounds way back then when we were newlyweds. Um, I made the big mistake of saying that Katie lost a ton of weight too, and then every woman wanted to stone me, so I'm not going to say that during the service. I'm going to say that Katie always looked perfect, <laughs> always. But then she just looked perfect a little smaller. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. You looked perfect the whole time. Was that not better? I was trying, I was trying to do better. <laughs> and I'm not going to say it was, um, it was, you know, easy back then, um, but it, we didn't really have, like, we had no kids. Like, level of responsibility was pretty low at that time, and so it was a little easier to just kind of, you know, dial things in and, and start, you know, making good healthy food and going to the gym. Then we had kids, and my kids made me fat. It wasn't the quesadilla tacos. It was, I, I'm, I break contract with quesadilla tacos right now in Jesus' name. I sever that soul tie. I blame it on my kids. It wasn't any of my own choices. It was definitely my kids. And then it was like, you know, for, for the first five years of my kids' lives, we were just busy running around trying to wrangle them. And, and I just, it, 2020 was when it really hit me. You guys remember 2020. That's, that was when everybody put on the 2020 20. Yeah. Just sitting around doing nothing, locked inside and eating too much, drinking too much. And anyway, so I was like, okay. And, and if I was honest with you guys, like health in my family um, has been uh, not good. My dad died when he was 45 years old. There's nobody in my extended family that is remotely healthy at all. And I know that for me, and actually, I saw this, um, this Instagram post that really shifted some things for me. And the post itself is a little vain, so, you know, just don't judge me. But I, I just chew up, chew up the, the meat and spit out the bones, okay? So the post said um, that there's 29 million millionaires in the United States, give or take. 29 million millionaires. There's only 13 million people, adults, that have visible abs, so this post argued that it's actually more elite to be fit than to be a millionaire. And this post said that being fit is the most elite status symbol because you can't inherit it, you can't stumble your way into it, you have to earn it, and there's no other way around it. Now, you know, that's, you know, a little vain, that's not my motivation, not totally, a little bit, you know, I mean. But I did realize, like, 
as a leader, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, it is my responsibility to have total mastery over every area of my life, to not be mastered by anything, to actually show the people that I lead, to show myself, to show my kids that I can do hard things, that I can make my mind up about something, I can beat my body into submission, that I'm not mastered by anything, that I am the master, okay? And so it just kind of sent me on this this journey of, of, you know, trying to get back in shape. And it, it's been a lot harder than when we did it like 12 years ago. And then I realized, oh, yeah, it's because I'm 12 years older. And, you know, body's just a little more rickety. And it's just harder these days. But what I have realized is that there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. None. None. You can 75 hard yourself all day long. I tried it. I, I need 75 medium, okay? 75 hard was too hard. I got like 40 days in and that was it. That's all I could do. You know, whatever fad diet, whatever, like there are no shortcuts to being fit. And I realized that it took me five years of eating jack-in-the-box tacos and not moving to get to where I was. And so it's unrealistic to think that I'm gonna go to 24-hour fitness for six weeks and you know, look like Ryan Gosling. It's just not gonna happen, okay? I had to come to terms with that. I've worked through it. I'm in it for the long haul. I'm committed, all right? There are no shortcuts. And what I have learned, and disclaimer, I am not a dietitian. I am not a health specialist in any way. If you go take my advice and then your triglycerides go through the roof, that's on you, okay? This is not fitness advice. I'm a pastor, all right? This is spiritual advice. I have learned that if you want to get stronger, if you want to build muscle, there is only three things you can do. You eat meat, you lift heavy things, and you get enough sleep. That's it. There is no other way. You can't put little electrodes on your abs and shock them or thigh blaster your way. It just, it's, that's it. You eat meat, you lift heavy things, and you get enough sleep. That's it. No other way. And you have to do that a lot consistently for a very long period of time. And what I have realized is that strengthening yourself spiritually is actually the exact same formula. So those are my three points. Eat more meat, lift heavy things, and get enough sleep. All right? Here we go. Point number one, eat more meat. So I realized um, on my fitness journey that I was incapable of doing it myself was humble enough to realize I needed some help. So I hired this uh, coach. His name is Bryce. He's um, actually uh, objectively the most handsome man in the world. It's very frustrating. He's like 8% body fat. And I'm like, if you're going to be 8% body fat, at least you could have an ugly face. But he doesn't. He looks like Barbie doll Ken. And it keeps me humble. The Bible says, humble yourself or else God will humble you. So I put myself around Bryce because it keeps me humble. Bryce's answer for everything is eat more meat. I'm like, bro, I just told you my ankle hurts. He's like, yeah, eat a hamburger patty, you'll be fine. I'm like, hey, Bryce, you know, maybe, you know, switch things up. The, you know, routine's getting a little mundane. Maybe we could swap this exercise out for that exercise. He's like, no, go eat a pound of ground beef and then we'll talk. Text me later. That's like his answer for everything. Eat more meat. Because protein is the amino acid that makes muscles grow, period. That's it. You can't do it without protein. And in the same way, you cannot strengthen yourself in the Lord 
without feasting on the meat of his word. There is no way. You can be doing 10,000 spiritual burpees and whatever. If you're not feasting on the word, nothing will happen. Okay? You have to feast on the word. One of my huge pet peeves is when people say, you know, some form or variation of, I left that church or I'm unhappy at this church or that church because I don't feel like I'm getting fed. Thank you, Felicia. I don't feel like I'm being fed. You know what I think of when I hear that? A baby in a high chair. Babies in high chairs get fed. Grown-ups, not even grown-ups, like toddlers feed themselves, okay? Now listen, if you're in here and you're a brand new Christian, brand new to church, you're allowed to be a baby, for real. Welcome, you get to be a baby for a while because you are a baby in the faith. You're a baby in the faith, but you can't stay that way. The saddest thing, imagine if Zeke was 16 years old and I was like, all right, here comes the airplane. That would be so weird and creepy and would, would call CPS and that'd be bad, okay? At 16 years old, my son better be able to feed himself. He can feed himself at six, praise the Lord. It is your responsibility as a believer to learn to feed yourself, to learn to feed yourself. You should not show up to church so malnourished, so weak that you just barely get through the doors here and you're like, Pastor, please feed me. You should be feeding yourself throughout the week so that when you show up here, you're ready to serve the church, to build his house, to be here for somebody else, to take care of one of the infants, one of the babies, those who are new to the faith, new to the church. You have a responsibility to feed yourself. King David knew how to feed himself. He said, I delight myself in the law of of the Lord, I meditate on it day and night. Just eating chicken breast all day long, King David. Good for you. Just feasting on protein. I delight myself in the law and I meditate on it day and night. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. If you don't know the promises that are in this book, then when life gets hard, you don't have anything to draw on. There are promises in this book that will carry you through. And I'm gonna read you a few right now. There's promises of help. Isaiah 41, um, 10, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. There's promises of peace. Isaiah 26, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. There's promises of forgiveness. 1 Peter chapter two, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live 
live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. There's promises of strength, Isaiah chapter 40. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. There's promises of love, Isaiah 54. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Promises of protection, Isaiah 54, no weapon formed against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Promises of provision, Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. This is filled with promises. And if you're not feasting on it, then when you're going through the fire, when you're going through the valley, when you're going through the famine, you have nothing to draw on. Feast on his word. Somebody say amen. Amen. And if you're not, if you're, you know, just never in this book, have no idea what it says, no idea the, the laws and the principles. This book it is not about God getting things, keeping things from you. This book produces human flourishing, okay? The, the, God has designed the universe to function in a specific way. And if you live your life in accordance with that design, your life goes better, period. That's why this book is so important. If you're not reading it, it's like, Expecting a six-pack when you're eating Fruit Loops and drinking Diet Coke every day. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry to tell you. Some of you feeling convicted right now need to switch up your Fruit Loops and Diet Coke diet. All right? Come on, somebody. Point number two. Lift heavy things. There is no way, no device, no contraption. You can't Stand in the mirror and affirm yourself enough and get bigger muscles. I have big muscles. I have big muscles. I have big muscles. I am strong. I am. Doesn't work. The only way it happens is by lifting heavy things, period. Same is true in the spiritual. Are you doing hard things? Are you putting yourself in uncomfortable positions? Lifting weights should be uncomfortable, all right? If you're doing the Coors curls, this ain't, this ain't gonna get you there, all right? Not gonna get you there. There's, um, there's a specific exercise that I hate more than any other exercise in the world. I believe that in hell, the devil makes everybody do Bulgarian split squats all day long. Bulgarian split squats. Gosh, those Eastern Europeans, they're the worst. Any exercise that has an Eastern European country in the name is the worst. Turkish get-ups, Romanian deadlifts, Bulgarian split squats. Those Eastern Europeans are crazy. So a Bulgarian split squat is where one foot goes forward, back foot goes on a bench, and you've got either a barbell or kettlebells or whatever, and you do basically like a depth lunge with your foot elevated. And it sucks. I hate it. It's uncomfortable but it's meant to be, it works. That's how you build muscle. And in the spiritual, it's the exact same way. If you're never inconvenienced, if you're never uncomfortable, you're not strengthening yourself in the Lord, period. 
David had lifted heavy things in his life as a shepherd boy when nobody was watching, no accolades, nobody cheering him on. He would protect his father's sheep. He took down a bear when it tried to attack the sheep, took down a lion when he tried to attack the sheep. He slayed Goliath, the giant, the nine-foot giant, slayed the giant. He'd proven to himself that he was a man of integrity when he was on the run from King Saul. And King Saul, um, he had an opportunity to take out King Saul. He didn't. He said, far be it from me to strike the Lord's anointed. He had proven to himself that he was a man of integrity. He'd proven to himself that he was a good leader, that he could rally the mighty men around him that were devoted to him, that were loyal to him. David spent his life doing hard things. So at the very rock bottom, the worst moment of his life, he could say that he strengthened himself in the Lord. So practically, I'm going to give you some very tangible ways that you can do hard things, okay? Some of them you're not going to like, but I'm telling you, they will make you stronger, okay? I got some Bulgarian split squats right here for you. Number one, pray this prayer if you dare. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would put me around people that will challenge me and pull me higher. In Jesus' name, amen. That is a terrifying prayer. And if God answers it, it will be challenging for you because the prayer is put me around people that challenge me. So you will be challenged. Years ago, many of you have heard this story. I, um, Katie and I were, this probably six years ago, we were leaders in this campus. We weren't ordained. We weren't the pastors. But um, we had moved to Oceanside with Katie's parents because we were building a house down here in Eastlake. And so the house was under construction and being built. And, and um, it was a very challenging time for us financially, you know, we stepped out in faith to build this house, um, which is crazy that you, we just put down $5,000 of earnest money and they're just like, cool, thanks, and they just start building the house. No verification that at the end of the home we would have the actual money to pay for it whatsoever. I'm like, this is crazy. You guys, this is not good business, but whatever, I'm here for it. And I'm just like, I'm freaking out like as I'm watching this house be built because we were struggling financially. Like it wasn't like we stepped out in faith and then money just fell out of nowhere. And so we were, I was, it was a very challenging time in our lives. And I had prayed that prayer um, a few weeks prior, and then lo and behold, out of nowhere, I got invited to this prayer group with some of, some of the very, very successful business people in this campus, Pastor Marco Contreras, Chris Aguilar, Pastor Rudy Batis, Matt Lee, um, and a few other guys, and, and they would meet every weekday morning and would pray at 5.30 in the morning. To, they'd pray for their families, their businesses, and invited me to be a part of it. And I was like, oh man, I'm living in Oceanside. And they meet at 5.30 in the morning down in Chula Vista. So I'd get up at 3.30, drive all the way down because I was so desperate to, to be around these guys. And then every single time I'd get there, and here's the way it would work. It was pretty crazy. Um, we'd show up at 5.30. Everybody would kind of sit down, and we just kind of share, you know, something that happened yesterday that was cool, any God stories. And every single day, these yahoos had some crazy God story about how, you know, oh my gosh, I just needed like $130,000 to appear out of nowhere. And then boom, it did. It was so crazy. And then, yeah, it was like the tooth fairy left a million dollars under my pillow. And oh my gosh, my business had the greatest day in the history of mankind. Yeah, And here I am like just limping by financially, just like struggling so bad. So I'm just so discouraged, so frustrated every single day. These 
these guys just all, all these all this prosperity and abundance, and I'm just like not seeing it. And so I get so discouraged. I make up my mind. I'm like, I'm done with this. And I have like the best excuse in the world. I'm living in Oceanside. All I got to do is say, hey guys, I can't make the drive and I can't continue to get up at 3.30 in the morning. And they would have been like, understood, all good. But as I was about to tell the guys, hey, I'm just not gonna be able to make it anymore. God reminded me, you prayed for this. This is what you asked me for. And I realized it was so true. I had asked for God to put me around men more successful than me to challenge me and call me higher. And I almost didn't have the maturity to even handle it. I almost didn't have the maturity to to handle an answered prayer. And I'm telling you, there's things in your life you're praying for that you actually don't want to come true. Okay, because if you want them to come true, it means God's got to actually go into your heart because God's a good father. If you're sitting there praying, God, make me a billionaire and a billion dollars would destroy your life, then God's not going to bless you with a billion dollars because he's a good father. Instead, you pray this prayer. God, make me the kind of person that can steward massive amounts of money for your kingdom. That's the prayer you pray. And God will answer that prayer and will go into you and, and begin to show you areas of financial stewardship where you're lacking, okay? And I almost didn't make it. I was almost so discouraged by God answering this prayer and putting me around people more successful than me. I dare you to pray that prayer. Double dog dare you this week to pray, God, put me around people that will challenge me and pull me higher. Amen. Okay? That's lifting heavy things in the kingdom. Another one. Pray this prayer. Heavenly Father. I pray that you would illuminate one area in my heart that does not serve me well. That's like, that's even like junior varsity, okay? King David said, show me every area of my heart that I don't even think I can handle that. I'm like, man, just show me one at a time, please, okay? So I don't, just pray that prayer. God, show me one area in my heart, one area that, that it does not serve me and is hindering me from stepping into the full destiny you have for me. And he'll answer the prayer. He'll show you an area in your life that needs to change, and then it's up to you to do the hard work, to lift the weights, to go join a connect group, to go get prayer from our ministry team, to, to go to a biblical counselor, to, to, to you know, find someone who will pour into your life, you know, talk to a leader, whatever it is. That's what lifting heavy things looks like in the kingdom. Next one. Serve in a higher capacity than you currently are at church. So if you're not serving, start serving. If you are serving, serve in a higher capacity. It will stretch you. It's you laying down your life, inconveniencing your own preferences for the building of the kingdom. That will stretch you. That's lifting heavy things in the kingdom. Here's a... Here's a Here's one for the emerge men. Oh, you're, you're, you say that now. Wait till I actually tell you what it is. You're not going to be come on in me anymore. I promise you that. This was a, an assignment that was given um, at Emerge Conference a few years ago, um, and it's to, and you don't do this at dinner time. You know when the kids are going nuts. Like find a date night, find a, a coffee date, whatever when the timing is appropriate. Ask your wife this question, and it has to be these exact words. You can't alter this in any way. You say, do you feel deeply loved by me? Not do you know that I love you, that's cheating. 
That's not it. The question is, do you feel deeply loved by me? And as a man, you stand there and listen to the answer and don't say one word. Don't defend yourself. Don't rationalize why. Oh, it's been a busy season at work. Oh, it's tax season. None of that. You just listen. Listen. Take it to heart and say, baby, thank you so much. I'm going to be a better man for you. Okay? That's what lifting heavy things in the kingdom looks like. That was only the ladies clapping at the end. I'm sorry, guys. It was good for you. Last one, another incredibly practical one that Pastor Marco touched on is participate in vision builders. I don't know of another mechanism for Katie and I that is just a, just a continuous, repetitive, strength training exercise in the spiritual than us committing our finances to vision builders. Every year, we make a big commitment that's gonna take me like hustling, working nights, working weekends, believing God for increase, believing God for miracles. It takes us stewarding our money, actually sacrificing things, not just buying every little thing we want, but, but, but you know, surrendering our preferences to see the kingdom built. I'm telling you, vision builders will strengthen you like nothing else. That's what lifting weights, lifting heavy things looks like in the kingdom. Can somebody say amen? Amen. 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 So that was point one and two. Point one, eat meat. Point two, lift heavy things. And point three, get enough sleep. If you want to, in the physical, build muscle, be stronger, it's, you don't actually get stronger lifting weights. You actually get a little bit weaker. You actually rip little bitty tears in your muscle fiber. That's what actually happens when you, when you engage in resistance training. It's actually while you are asleep, if you've had adequate meat and protein, that the muscle fibers begin to grow back and repair themselves and come back even stronger. If you do not rest, you cannot strengthen yourself in the Lord. Rest, rest is how you actually and when you actually get stronger. Thursday night of this last week, Katie and I just had some friends over for dinner and, um, you know, it was just so fun. Like we, we ate tacos, which aren't part of the diet. Don't, you know, don't judge me. It was one night, that was my cheat day, all right? Chill out. Gosh, I feel so judged. We had um, just friends over, we ate and we drank wine and, and just chatted and it was so amazing. And it wasn't like some weird, like, you know, we didn't have Adrian playing the pads in the background to make it more spiritual. I think Taylor Swift was on, on Alexa or something. You know, I don't know, whatever. We're just hanging out. And then um, I just asked like a, a really simple question, just like, hey, you know, it'd be fun. Let's just reflect on like the you that first showed up at Awakened Church on your first Sunday and the you now what's the one biggest difference? And we just started talking and it was just so amazing. It'd be like somebody would share and, and then somebody else, you know, across the table be like, oh my gosh, I, I see that in you. It's so amazing to have watched you stepped into being the most amazing father, most amazing husband, so proud. And it just was this incredibly beautiful, not weird, organic, just like encouragement fest. And man, I left that night just like feeling on top of the world, like I'm ready to go to take down any giant. It was so restful for me. It was restful for my soul. What does rest look like for you? Is it, you know, maybe you're one of those weird like 
active rest people. You like to go hiking and stuff. And you know, not me, but good for you. That's awesome. What is your thing? How do you rest? If you're not doing it, I'm telling you, you can be eating all the protein and lifting a bunch of weight, you know, in the spiritual, whatever. But like, if you don't take the time to rest, you will run yourself into the ground. You'll be burned out. You will see, you will, you will not strengthen yourself in the Lord. You'll actually just get weaker and weaker and weaker. King David knew how to rest. Probably the, the single most famous writing from King David is Psalm 23. And it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I love that it says he makes me lie down. It doesn't say I choose to lie down. There's times where God's like, no, lay down. Pah. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is the part I love the most, I think, out of this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David, the quintessential warrior, always fighting somebody, equated God to a shepherd that makes him lay down in green pastures, that makes a table for him in the presence of his enemies. That means that somehow, supernaturally, you can always be at war, but also be at peace. And the promise, the promise in Psalm 23 is that he is with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with doesn't say that you keep me from the valley of the shadow of death. doesn't say you helicopter parent me and clear the valley and make it a big meadow of wildflowers that I can frolic about in. It says, yea, though I walk through it, you will be with me. And that's the promise that you can take to the bank, no matter what, no matter what you're going through, that he is with you. You know, Katie um, in our family is really the She's kind of the, the rest police for us. I mean, in a, in a really great way. Like, I always tell people, like, if I was left to my own devices, we'd have a terrible marriage. You know, my, I'd never see my kids, but we'd probably have a lot more money. If Katie had her way, we would play board games every single night. We'd have the greatest family in the world, and we would have nothing. But there's this beautiful tension in our marriage where I'm, I'm just ambitious, I'm out hustling, but she's always so good at, at pulling me back and making sure that there's harmony and balance in our home. And early on in our marriage, I would just like fly off the handle. You know, she'd be like, hey babe, I just, I'm feeling like my love tank is a little low. And I'd be like, your love tank is low? Are you kidding me? I'm out there trying to, you know, hustle and trying to provide this life for you. And now I have learned that she's almost always right, almost, 99% of the time. But she's right. She has an incredible pulse on our family and knows when we need to, when I need to slow down a little bit. We even got in a fight literally in the car on the way here, fresh, real, and powerful, transparent church. Because I realized, I was like, shoot, I have this meeting on Monday up in LA and I totally forgot I got to run into the office tonight and just get a couple things prepped. But we're leaving for Israel on Tuesday. 
and that's why I have this beard. I'm growing the beard so that I'll be respected in Israel, okay? They, they won't respect you. That's why, where's Chito? Chito Renteria? He's like, he's like the high priest. They're, they're just going to call you rabbi and throw gifts at your feet, bro. Come on, that's right. Anyway, I digress. But Katie, you know, was like, babe, like, this is one of the, like, last nights we're going to have with all the kids um, before, you know, we're going to take Leon and, and um, Zeke and Everly are going to stay with Grandma and Grandpa, and we're going to be gone for longer than we've ever been away from them. And, and, um, and I'm just so thankful for my wife that, that has a pulse of, of rest on our family. And it's one of the most, if you want to strengthen yourself in the Lord, you have to be able to rest have to be able to rest. But why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes as we come to a close. And I want to just, um, here as we close, just ask, ask us a question. Um, you know, it says that King David strengthened himself in the Lord. It doesn't just say King David strengthened himself. It says he strengthened himself in the Lord. So my question for you in here today is, are you in the Lord? Do you actually have a relationship with the God that made you? Or have you been wearing yourself out? Are you exhausted from just trying to strengthen yourself, period, full stop? Not strengthening yourself in the Lord, but just in the rat race of morality, just trying to be a good person, trying to, you know, overcome that addiction, trying to not live like, like your whole family has lived, but just finding yourself, the more you, you try to pull away from it, the more that it seems to suck you in, it's because you aren't strengthening yourself in the Lord. The Bible says that he stands, Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. And if you will open the door, he will come in and he'll dine with you and you with him. So I wanna give anybody in here an opportunity today that needs to make that decision to just actually open the door as God's knocking on the door of your heart. He's not gonna just barge in. That's not a relationship. If I just, you know, when I first met Katie, if I clubbed her in the head and drug her back to my cave by her ponytail and then told everybody we were in love, that's not what it looks like. That's, that's one way. And in the same way, God doesn't just barge his way into your life. He has to be invited in. And so I want to give you an opportunity to invite him in this morning. And so if that's you here in a second, I'm going to count to three and I want you to shoot your hand up and I'm going to include you in my closing prayer. Maybe you're in here and maybe you used to walk with God or grew up in church, but you've just fallen away. You've, you've slipped away, whatever. But you know that he's calling you home today then I want you to shoot your hand up here in a second as well. So if that's you and any one of those two groups of people here on the count of three, I want you to shoot your hand up one, two, three, all over this room. We need to make that decision today. I see that hand, amazing. See that hand, I see that hand there in the back. I see that hand right there, great. Who else needs to make that decision? I see that hand over here to my right. I see that hand, my man in the Levi shirt, proud of you. Who else needs to make that decision today? Once I've seen it, you can go ahead and put it down. Anybody else? 10 more seconds. I see that hand, so proud of you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, why don't we go ahead and give a big round of applause and hop to our feet for everybody that raised their hand. So amazing. The Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing and there's a party going on, all the angels celebrating. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna walk you through a very, very simple prayer. 
And if you raised your hand, I want you to repeat this prayer after me loud and proud. And actually, everybody in the building is going to pray this prayer alongside of you so that you don't feel like you're doing it all by yourself. Because one of the amazing things about choosing God as your father is that you get a bunch of amazing brothers and sisters too. So let's all bow our heads and pray this prayer together. If you raise your hand, I want you to pray this prayer loud and proud. Everybody say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you today for sending Jesus on a rescue mission to save me. Today I declare that my sins are forgiven, that heaven is my home, you have a destiny for me, God is my father, I am his child, in Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen, amen, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.